Hey, do me a favor, grab a Bible and uh, get with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, it's on page 790 in the Bibles that we have here. Um, so if you can track one down, that'd be wonderful. Uh, we're, we're getting ourselves ready. We're, we're recognizing that God calls us to be a part of this ministry, and he shows us here in Matthew 9 what that looks like. Jesus models for us what he expects for us to do, so he does that, and then he calls his followers to do likewise. And, and uh, as a church, as a campus, we're very passionate about this idea of equipping you to be engaged in ministry. We don't just want to do ministry on Sunday. We actually want to hijack your life and let, let God use it for his glory in a variety of ways. And uh, that's exciting, and it's fun, and it's challenging, uh, but all of that just makes church uh, a sweet experience. Um, so Matthew chapter 9, on page 790, I'm going to read the text. I'll pray, and then we'll get after it. We're starting in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's pray. Lord, right now, would you speak to each of our hearts? We're so grateful, God, that the the plan for ministry is that you would take ordinary people like us and you would co-opt us into your mission. And that, that feels exciting, but it's also big and scary. And so we're grateful, God, that you give us your spirit and that you walk us through this, and you help us along the way, and we have to be dependent upon you. And so, Lord, we we just pray right now as we've opened your word together and read your word together, would you speak truth over us and help us to believe what you're calling us to do? Lord Jesus, would you help us to be a church that, that helps other people come to know saving grace? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that you're going to notice here, if you're looking at the text, is that Jesus, as he models for us what ministry looks like, he does both the ministry of word, of telling people something, and deed, of doing something. So, so he does this thing where he, he's not content to just let people know there's a God and you should know him, but he also does something very tangibly to help them out. He sees that they're sick and diseased, and he heals them. And so the church needs to be good at both of those things. There's kind of an intramural debate that's been going on for a long, long time as you think about, okay, what should the church major in? Should we major in telling people the truth, or should we major in doing something that reveals truth to them? And when I read the Bible, this might be oversimplification, but really I think it's both. That, that we need to be people who can both tell the good news and live the good news. And, and that helps a lot of different people come to know who God is. And so we need to be good at both. Jesus does both. I think throughout the scriptures, we see both of those things being led together. And, and I think it'd be healthy for us to attempt to do both of those different things. So Jesus does both the ministry of word and deed, and it's very comprehensive. If you look at the, the beginning of verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages— teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. But right there on the front end, it tells us that he's going around to all the towns. And the commentators point out that there were a lot of towns and a lot of people, and he was kind of systematically going around and and doing this this ministry. And, And I bring that up because sometimes we might think, if we're looking at Harlem, if we're looking at 
um, Chesney Park, if we're looking at Loves Park and Rockton Roscoe, if we're looking at the needs in front of us, the amount of people that there are, we might kind of be paralyzed and go, what could little old us do? What could we accomplish here? What, what, would, what significant thing could we do? There's just too much need. So, so the tendency in us would be, let's hunker down and let's just kind of pay attention to our church family and try to do a good job here. What Jesus did was he saw the needs in front of him and he, he, he made efforts then to travel around and do ministry to as many people as possible. Now as a church, we want to keep on this agenda. We want to recognize there's a lot of need around here and little old us, we, we might feel insignificant to the task, but God can, by his spirit, equip us to reach a whole lot of people. So we want to be an outwardly focused church, a church that is paying attention to the needs, no matter how, how large those might be. He engages in this thing of the ministry of the word. It says that he went teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's teaching. He's telling people that there is a God, and then he's explaining to them what that looks like. And as a church, we're, we're passionate about that. We believe that people need to be instructed in the things of God. And church is a place where you can get a portion of that instruction. The more that you know of God, the more that's going to influence your beliefs, and then that's going to actually play out in the way that you live. But, but the church has a responsibility to present the truth and to teach the truth. And Jesus did this. He taught in their, in their synagogues. Now, as a pastor, this haunts me because it is very, very challenging to think of creative ways to ensure that every person who's a part of our campus is getting properly taught. Yes, we can do stuff on Sunday morning, and we're strategic about it, and we try to make it clear and helpful, but Sunday is not enough. Um, in fact, Isaac and I, we recently started recording podcasts. I don't know if we're ever going to publish them, but we were just thinking, what could we do that would help more people from our campus? And, and podcasts seem like a way that a lot of people kind of tune in and get their sports and get their news and get these different things. And we said, what if we just hijack a car ride and we say 15 minutes each week, we're going to do something that'll help our people and we teach into it. Um, but here's the reason why we started this little podcast. We were thinking about the fact that if Sunday is the only opportunity that you have to be taught the things of God, it's not enough. Somebody did the math recently, and they, they were thinking through it. Okay, if you sleep eight hours a night, so he's not a young parent, but if an you know, ordinary person sleeping eight hours a night, and then he's adding up the amount of hours during the week that you would be awake, and he said, if you come to church every week, and you spend 90 minutes here, if you spend 90 minutes a week at church, you would only be spending 1.3% of your waking time on that. And for me, I just went, man, there, we have to do more. What can we do that would help people, that would teach and instruct people in the things of God so that we could begin to think about how can your entire waking life and resting life and all of that, how can all of that be done to the glory of God? What are some things that we could do to, to teach and instruct the people of God in a way that's helpful? Because we're all being taught, we're all being formed, we're all being shaped by the things that we listen to and the conversations that we have. And so I, I want to make sure that as a church, we're paying attention to this teaching ministry that Jesus inspires for us to do. Um, he published the good news. He was going around telling people the kingdom of God is here. Um, he was telling people. He was announcing. And so as a church, we have to get good at this. We have to get better at telling people about God. Um, church shouldn't be the only place where you have kind of spiritual language that comes out of your mouth. It should actually start to feel normal. And the plan that we have around here at this campus is I want to help each one of you feel confident 
having those conversations on a regular basis. We're doing some training. We, we try to get people in groups. We feel like if you're in a group and you're talking about spiritual things with other people, even if it's just other Christians, you're going to grow in your confidence to just do that. It's going to feel normal. But we also want to come alongside that and train you up so that you would feel comfortable and confident to share your faith with other people. So the ministry of the word is very, very important. We have a responsibility to make known the news that God loves people and sent his son Jesus to die in their place. What a high calling that is, that we get to use our mouths and tell people this incredible truth, and it changes somebody's eternity. But Jesus didn't just do that. He didn't just talk about it. He also lived it out. He went around and he was healing every disease and sickness. As he was traveling through these different towns and villages, he was finding people who were in need, and he was doing something that was of immediate benefit to them. That the kingdom of God, he's able to wield his power for their good, and he's healing them and helping them. And so as a church, we want to be a, a community of faith where we go around thinking, if there is a need, what could we do that would be helpful for people? Now, sometimes it's going to be praying for those who are sick or diseased, but sometimes it's going to look normal, too. It's going to look like we've got a neighbor who's out of town. I'm going to mow their lawn. It just looks like we're going to do something because there's need in the world, and so we as a community of faith don't just want to tell people the good news. We actually want to be good news people. So think about it this way. If you had to move for some reason, what kind of response would you want from your neighbors? Would you want them to go, Man, I love those people. They are a blessing to our community. They make, they make our neighborhood better. They're fun. They're, they're awesome. They're helpful. They do things for other neighbors. That's what I would want for every person who's a member of our campus. I don't want people going, oh, thank goodness, they're out of here, right? You don't want people in your neighborhood going, yeah, they're kind of grumpy people, and I, and I could never talk to them, and I could never relate to them, and, and they just don't even really care about people around here. No, we want to live in a way that actually is good news, that we display for people this desire that we have to help. And, and, and what I'm seeing here in this text is that Jesus was going around healing diseases and sickness, and we should be people who are going around in the power of the Spirit, looking for opportunities to help wherever we find need. Uh, no matter how severe or how small, we should be willing. Now, I hope you'll embrace that as an individual Christian, and you'll think creatively about how to do that. But as a church, we're committed to this as well, so we're creating opportunities for more people to get involved in this kind of ministry. One of the things that we're doing is a mentoring program at the elementary level. So Kids Hope USA is an organization that partners churches with schools and puts together this mentoring program. And we met with Christy Brown, the principal at Ralston, um, this week. And she's very excited to have us on board. And we're going to try to do 10 to 12 mentors who can spend their lunch hour adding value to the life of a young person. And if you're, if you're intrigued by that and you, you have the ability to do that, Talk to me or talk to Mike Wilkerson today. Let, let them know that you, would be, um, in, that you would be willing to do something with that or learn more about it. But we're going to soft launch it right now and try to get a few volunteers going. And then in the fall, we're going to try to fully, you know, fully staff that ministry so that we're saying, hey, McChesney Park, Ralston Elementary, they have kids who have a need and we have human resources that we can send in that direction. We have people who can invest time and energy in the lives of young people to help them and, and, and to give them some, some positivity in their life. And that's what we want to do. 
We, we also do things like JJM. Ryan uh, volunteers with JJM, serving the community of young people who've been incarcerated, looking for opportunities to come alongside them and support them, and then do some aftercare stuff as well. Uh, in our groups, we're, we're looking for opportunities to kind of let you guys determine what, what would be the most beneficial thing. What, would, what could you guys as a group do? And then we as a church want to come alongside you and go, we'll give you resources, we'll give you help, we'll give you what you need, but we want to be the kind of church that doesn't just hunker down on Sunday mornings and then go hide out the rest of the week. We want to be the kind of church that proclaims the good news of Christ and then goes into the community and reveals what good news would look like in our very lives. So Jesus is engaged in the ministry of both word and deed, and we as a church want to do the same. But all of this really flows from a changed heart, from a heart of compassion. And this is what we see in the text before us. Look at verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were helpless. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looked at the crowds, he viewed them with this certain mentality. He looked at them and he saw that they were you know, not, not doing what God wanted them to do. They're wandering. They're, they're not living up to their potential. They're not living in alignment with God. And he didn't just kind of sigh and go, oh man, these jokers. Why can't they just know God and love God? Why can't they just recognize that God made them? No, what does he do? He looks on them and he's moved with compassion. He looks at them and he goes, these people are living in this way because they're, they're harassed and they're helpless they don't have a shepherd. They don't have leaders who are coming alongside them and showing them what it would look like to live in harmony with God. He looks on them with a heart that is moved, and he's saying, these people, they need something. We need to be a, a, a church and individuals who look at the watching world, and even members within our church, we look at one another, and we have this heart that's been radically changed by the gospel. So we see not a problem, but we actually see this is somebody who's hurting and broken and in need of help. Every person we come into contact with, hurting and broken and in need of help, they're harassed and helpless and they need a shepherd. We have to have that sort of compassion. And if I'm being honest, for me, that doesn't come natural. The way that I often view people is that they're an inconvenience. And let me just illustrate this. So Friday night, we're over at the neighbor's house, and we're having dinner and desserts, and we're hanging out with their kids. They've got kids that are the same age, and so we're playing, and uh, it gets late. It gets well past the kids' bedtime, and we say, okay, we've got to call it a night, so we hike over to our house, and um, we're trying to get the kids ready for bed now, so Reese is, you know, a little sweetheart doing her thing, but I've got Harrison, and he's a terror, and I'm saying, hey, dude, we need to brush your teeth, and he just yells, no! And then he just has tears streaming down his eyes. So I'm asking him to do things, and he's yelling at me, and, and, and I just keep going through this process, and I'm giving you a very tame illustration. This is not how it normally goes. So it gets to the point where I'm like, okay, we got to get you in jammies. No! He's crying. Okay, we got to brush your teeth. No! So I say, I say to him, buddy, I'm losing my patience with you right now. And I hear Ash say in the distance, she's off in the other area, and she goes, Cor, he's super tired. Okay, but here's what's going on with me. I love this kid like crazy. I love Harrison so, so much. But in that moment, what am I doing? My heart's revealed. I'm irritated by him. Why won't you do what I want you to do? Why won't you, why won't you listen to me? Why won't you obey? Why won't you do what I'm asking you to do? It would actually get you in bed faster and you'd be happier. 
that's how a lot of us deal with people, right? That we look at people, even people we know we should love, even people we do love, and too often we view them not with the compassion of Christ, but with selfishness. And we go, this person is a problem. They're in my organization, and they're underperforming, and I don't know why the boss hasn't let them go yet, but they're a problem, and I wish they would get dismissed. Instead of viewing them with the compassion of Christ and going, this is a broken and helpless person, and, and, and I should be viewing them like Christ would, wondering how I could help them and shepherd them and, and help them to figure out what God wants for their life. Too often we view people, family members or ch- fellow church members, and we go, why aren't they doing this? Don't they know better? Shouldn't they be a lot further along than this? Shouldn't they be serving in some capacity or doing this? Or, and we, we kind of plug in what we think other people should do, and we're viewing people going, why can't you do that? And what are we saying? I'm selfish, and I want you to do it my way. We have to learn how to have the heart of compassion that views people as they truly are. So what's going on in their lives? We look at them and we go, man, they, if I'm looking at them like Christ is, I see the brokenness, I see the helplessness, and the problem is not just them, it is the fact that nobody has led them well. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. There's nobody who's coming alongside of them, leading them to green pastures, leading them to still waters, leading them to safety. There's nobody doing that for them. We need to learn how to love people like that and look at people like that. And we need to be careful about our own self-righteousness. The thing I've noticed is that we as Christians, the further along we get, the less patient we get with other people. Instead of loving and being gracious and recognizing the grace we've experienced and extending that to other people, we start to look at other people in our own self-righteousness and think they're not trying hard enough. They're not doing this the right way. I was reading a book called um, Gilead, and it's by Marilyn Robinson. It's a really great book. It's talking about a small town and a couple of pastors who serve in that town who are best friends and uh, all of the difficulties and nuances of life like that. And, and um, the, the one guy, the character, Pastor John Ames, he's talking about this reality. And he's saying there's a difference. There's a notable difference between people who are self-righteous and people who love like Christ. And he puts it like this. He says, how do you tell a scribe from a prophet? And he's using scribe in a derogatory way. He's saying this is kind of like a religious self-righteous person. He's saying, do you know the difference between a scribe? How can, how can you tell the difference between a scribe and a prophet? The prophets love the people that they chastise. Prophets are willing to speak truth and love. They're willing to speak up. They're willing to correct somebody, but they're doing it because they care. We need to be a church that loves people so well that even when we confront and challenge people, we're doing it not because we're self-righteous and we want them to change or get lost, but we're doing it because we sincerely care for their good. And, and, and that's what I hope that you will embrace with me, that we will become a community of faith that looks at other people. You, you're going to go to lunch today. You're going to bump into a lot of people. And I hope that you would cultivate in your heart this, this awareness that when you're dealing with people, they're made in the image of God, and they're walking around broken and helpless, and, and, and you can be this avenue of God's grace to extend kindness to them. But look on them with the eyes of compassion, the eyes of Christ. Now, Jesus looks at people this way. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And here's what's really fascinating. Throughout the Bible, over and over again, God promises that though his people are wandering around, there's a shepherd coming. There's a good shepherd coming. There's one who's like Moses, who's willing to 
inconvenience himself for the sake of other people, to pray for them, to stand in the gap when they make foolish mistakes and say, God, would you forgive them and, and be kind to them? And, and, and the Bible over and over again says, there's one who's coming who's like that. And Jesus is that good shepherd. He says it in another place. He says, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. When, when we're going through, when we're cruising through life and we're finding broken people, what we need what they need is to be introduced to Christ, to the good shepherd, the one who can, who can lead them where they need to go, who can care for them so well, who is willing to, to offer himself as a sacrifice. We have a good shepherd in Jesus Christ. He is the one who can help in the most profound way. So as we look at the needs, and there are many, we should be thinking about how can we help people come to know Christ, the true shepherd. Now the needs are great. If you look at verse 37, He's honest about it. He said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There is a tremendous need for ministry. And, and I don't think I have to be too creative to paint this picture. I know you're w- well aware that if you kind of look around our communities in, in McChesney Park and Rockton Roscoe and Loves Park and Rockford, as you look around, there's a need. There are people who do not know who God is. And and I know that we could wrongly estimate by cruising down and going, man, there's a lot of church buildings too. There's a lot of churches out there, so I think we're, we're pretty set. But the truth is, when we did a demographic study before we launched this campus. And what we came to find is, though there are a lot of church buildings, there are way more people who are unreached. There are people who do not believe in God. And, and that number is growing, and the churches are not. And so if we're going to do anything about it, we have to get churches reinvigorated with the idea of let's reach the community, let's share the good news of God, and we also have to start new churches. We have to reach more and more people with the good news of the gospel, with whatever strategy that we can think up, but, but we need to care deeply about the, the, the plentifulness of this harvest, that the, the harvest is huge and the workers are few. And we can do something to change that. So here's what Jesus suggests. Step number one is that we would pray. Look with me at verse 38. He says, here's what we need to do. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So there's a great need around us right now. There are kids that are on spring break right now, but they're going to file back in here a week from tomorrow. There, There are so many kids. We need to be praying God, would you raise up workers to reach this community? Would you raise up workers to go into the harvest field and help people come to know who you are? We need to be praying in that sort of way. We need to, as a church, get better at this. We'll do it in in a little bit here. I'll pray from the front, and we'll pray for those who are lost in this harvest field that's plentiful, and that should be an ordinary feature of church. That When we come together, we think about, man, there are a lot of people who aren't here. And we want to pray that God would raise us up to do something about it. But I hope that you would pray the same way when you're at home. That as an individual Christian, your, your prayers would be filled with the names and faces of people that you know that are far from God. I, I hope that you will be praying along with Christ and along with the church, saying, God, there's a work here. There are people here who don't know you. Would you raise up workers and send them out? Burke Parsons, he's a, he's a pastor, but he tweeted this out recently, and it was It was convicting to me, but he said, if God answered your prayers, would your neighbors know Christ or would you have lots of stuff? If God were to answer your prayers, 
Would your neighbors know Christ or would you just have more gear? And for me, it was pretty sobering because I realized I'd probably have a lot more stuff than people coming to know Christ. That needs to change. We need to be filling our prayer lists with people. And it's not hard to do. If we just do life with our eyes open, if we just do life like Christ did, walking around, thinking strategically about, look at, look at all these towns and villages, look at all these people, look at all this opportunity in front of us, we could fill our prayer list with all kinds of names. You, you have neighbors, I'm sure, who don't know Christ yet, and you could begin praying for them. So the past few days, I've been doing that. As we had dinner with, with my neighbor friends, I've just been you know, with the kids saying, we need to pray for these guys. We need to be praying. We love them. Why wouldn't we be praying that they would come to know the saving love of God? We need to fill our prayer list with the names and faces of real people. We need to be praying as a church, but as individuals, we can do this as well. Um, we, we can be praying. We can be asking God. There's a harvest out there. Help us to be a part of the solution. Now, when we pray that way, here's the last thing, and I'll invite the band to come up. When we pray that way, we better be ready to go. If you look at the very next chapter, the whole thing is Jesus sending out his team. He said, look, I've done it this way. Now I'm going to deploy you guys. Here's the instructions for how it should be played out. But this is a training operation. You get to do this ministry as well. And that becomes the pattern. Over and over again, Jesus, he sends out his followers. If we're going to pray that there's a harvest and that workers should go, we better be ready to go because that's what he does. He will say, great, you're on board. Let's get after this thing. You're going to work tomorrow. You're doing it on mission. You're going to hang out with some people in different settings this week. Let's do it on mission. You're a part of the team. You're in. And so we need to be people who are praying, but also ready to go. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. And, and right now, I'd love to just spend um, a minute or so praying over what we've seen here today and our willingness to participate, but also for the community that needs it so badly. So let's bow and talk to God. God, would you help us to do ministry like you? To go out into the world with a readiness to share our faith and a readiness to live out the beauty of the gospel by helping people who are in need. Lord, would you give us a heart of compassion so that we can't make it through a day without feeling broken over those who don't know you. We would look on them and we just think they are lost and helpless they need a shepherd. They need you. Break our hearts for our neighbors and for our community, God. Would you help us to be people of prayer who are constantly asking you to, to, to send out workers? And who are our prayers, God, would you mark those prayers with a desire for more and more people to come to know you? And would you send us? Make us ready, make us willing, make us bold. We know that we can't do it, but by your Spirit, you can use us, God. And so would you help us to be a part of the solution? Lord, the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people that don't know you. Would you please allow for our church to participate in that mission that you're engaged in of seeking and saving the lost? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.